It's War Week at Revival Tabernacle. Thank you for joining us as we lead youth from all over the country in a week-long experience of missions and service. Highland Park in Detroit, Michigan are being blessed right now by the work of our youth with their hearts and their hands. Every morning and evening, our pastors and guest speakers are challenging them with the Word of God, inviting them to take steps towards spiritual growth and to put faith into action. Uh, God is an awesome God. I am so excited to be pitch hitting for, um, for Pastor Devin. Uh, yeah, so as he mentioned, Pastor Devin and I, we knew each other from um, our college choir years. I was at U of M uh, doing um, the Michigan Gospel Chorale. I was a chaplain there, and Devin was the president at EMU's Gospel Choir. And it was just an awesome time of fellowship, and we were just close friends. And then uh, a friend invited us to visit here at RT when Pastor Tim was the pastor. And we have been here ever since. Just the family, the fellowship. I love my Revival Tab family. I really do. I love the youth. I love Pastor Eli and Pastor Lisa. All Everyone who ministers from the greeters. It's just all family and love. So I'm excited to be before family today. And you all are family too, even though I may not know your names yet. You're, you're my family. So um, being before family, I'm going to be honest with you, family. Um, one, I, when Pastor Devin said, hey, you know, sis, I may not preach on Wednesday because I have surgery. I'm like, it's not a may not. You need to sit at home and rest. So if you're watching this, Pastor Devin, you should turn this off and actually rest. Um, and so he was like, you know, I, I want you to, to preach for War Week. And I said, well, um, I feel like I've aged out of preaching um, youth services uh, because I'm a church mother at heart. So I'm going to do some things that's super churchy. Is that all right? Meaning you can talk back to me. You can say amen. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm real churchy. So family, I'm going to be honest that one, I felt, you know, that I have aged out of preaching in, in front of youth because I'm churchy. Two, uh, I'm just, you know, I do a lot. I have a toddler. I don't know if you've seen him running around and fussing. Um, he wears me out. I'm fatigued to just work 10 hours. Um, I work in, in public health and um, in the HIV community. Um, now I'm working for the state for Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, but I used to work at the agency level doing testing and case management and all sorts of things. So one, you know, I feel kind of, you know, churchy. Two, I'm a little tired. So bear with me. Amen. So you can talk back to me. So, um, so pray my strength, pray my energy that God will restore me as I share with you what God has shared with me. And I am excited to be before you. So let's go before the throne of grace, get into the word of God and grow in the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for every facet of this day, our time of growing with each other and our small groups of, of working and, and service and witness, Lord God. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you for this opportunity to grow in your word, Lord. Now, God, I pray that you sanctify this moment. Dear God, I thank you that this moment was preordained, that you settled it in the heavens. And before I knew it was to come, God, you orchestrated your word to, to fall on good ground. And so, God, I pray for every ear that they receive your word, that they have hearts, oh God, ready and fresh, oh God, to receive your word tonight, oh God, and have a mind, oh Lord, 
to serve you. A mind, dear God, to continue on serving you throughout the days of their life. Lord God, I just thank you that this is not just but a moment, dear Lord, but this is a transformation. Hallelujah. And that you are, are preparing these young people to serve you throughout all the days of their life. Lord God, we thank you. Father, I pray that I decrease, that you might increase, that your word goes forth with your anointing and your power. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, I'm going to briefly touch on the subject, and I'm really terrible at subjects too. Whenever I have to preach at RT, I, I feel bad for the media team. My husband's a part of the media team. I don't know if he's back in the booth or if he's running around taking pictures. Um, but I feel bad for the media team whenever they have to like label something that I preach because I'm like, I don't know what the sermon title is. Just put whatever the scripture is. So that's kind of what I'm doing today too. Um, turn with me to Matthew 15. And I'll be coming from the 21st through the 28th verse. And, you know, by way of a, of a subject, we're just going to talk about unlikely intercessors. Unlikely intercessors. And when I, I was studying and preparing, I, I thought about how some of you may not think of yourself as an intercessor. Do you know what I mean when I'm using that term, intercessor? I'm talking about someone who speaks on behalf of someone else. Someone who stands in the gap for someone else. And earlier when we were worshiping, um, the minister said, I want you to intercede for the community that you were serving in. So I want to talk about unlikely intercessors because you may not think of yourself as an intercessor. And being young, you may feel like sometimes adults or, you know, even the church trivializes your experience, trivializes your role. But I want you to know that you are the generation that will bring about change in your community, in this community even though people may trivialize your contribution, even though you may feel even of yourself that you're an unlikely intercessor, you are an intercessor. You are a vessel to be used by God to intercede on behalf of someone. Amen? Amen. So let's look at Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And this is also in the Gospel of Mark. It's cross-referenced in Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. So this woman, this Canaanite woman that we're going to see in Matthew 15 and in Mark 7 is a great example of an unlikely intercessor. So we're going to go through her experience, how she's interceding in her interactions with Jesus, and then figure out how does that apply to us. So in Mark, I mean, excuse me, in Matthew 15, looking at verse 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This, this woman, this Canaanite woman, she's a Gentile. And Jesus has 
had some interactions with Gentiles prior to, to this account in Matthew 15. And most of the time when Jesus is interacting with Gentiles, it's because Gentiles are, are, are encountering him as he's going on his way to minister to the Jews. But this is a little bit different because Jesus, it tells us where he is. This is in um, verses, uh, verse 21. It says that he was withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. That means he's in the region of, of Gentiles. He's in Phoenicia. Mark says that this is a sacro-Phoenician woman. He's in her, her neighborhood. Tell somebody, he's in her neighborhood. He's in, his, he's in her neighborhood. He's hanging out in her community. And so she recognizes that Jesus is in her neighborhood. And so she's like, okay, listen, I'm going to seize this moment. I got to... I gotta, intercede on behalf of my daughter. This is a kind of an interesting account because Jesus has healed Gentiles before, but Jesus has a hesitation to heal. He even refuses to heal. Let's look at verse 22. She cries out, have mercy on me because my daughter She's, she's interceding on behalf of her daughter. She said, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Her cry, have mercy on me. She internalizes the issue that her daughter is dealing with. I'm coming to you not for, for my sake, but I'm coming for you on behalf of somebody else. To be an unlikely intercessor, you have to be committed on behalf of someone else's struggle. We have to take ownership of someone else's affliction. You have to feel their hardship. You have to recognize that, listen, because you're hurting, I'm hurting. Because you're struggling, I'm struggling. You guys were out in Highland Park. I talk about this all the time, uh, being a, a member of, of RT. Woodward and Six Mile, it doesn't get no realer. You have to, you, you see some things, right? You encounter people who are living some struggles. And so for to, to be an intercessor on behalf of those people, to be an intercessor on behalf of your community, you have to take on and internalize those struggles. And that's what this mom does. And being a mom, when my baby's sick, I feel it. She internalizes it. She takes it on. And she says, have mercy on me, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And as I mentioned, Jesus doesn't just hesitate to heal. He outright refuses. What happens? He did not answer her a word. Charles Spurgeon, a noted theologian, he, he highlights the gravity of this moment of Jesus' silence by saying, the word did not speak a word. He who was always ready with the response to the cry of grief had no response for her. Has anyone ever experienced silence in prayer? Or is it just me? I, I mean, I just, I can preach to myself, it's okay. But there's been times when I am praying for God to do something or I am just crying out for God. And it's even happened in the middle of worship that everybody else is all falling out on the altar. They're crying, but I just feel like, oh, oh okay, okay, Jesus, do you not hear me? Let me, do I have to turn myself? Or do I have to yell a little bit louder? The word didn't speak a word. Even though Jesus doesn't say anything, what happens next? The disciples speak before Jesus does. Verse 23, the disciples said, send her away because she's shouting at us. This phrase, send her away, doesn't mean that they just want her to leave them alone. They want Jesus to do something so that she leaves satisfied. 
that send her away literally means make her go away, make her be free from whatever bondage she's going through, make sure everything's all right, and, and have her go on about her way because she's annoying us. The disciples were so annoyed by her loud crying that they just want her to go away. Her consistent troublemaking irritated them. And the woman who's interceding on behalf of her daughter, now the disciples are interceding on behalf of her. And they want Jesus to do something. And sometimes your intercession, you may not get an answer from God directly, but you're going to annoy somebody to the point where somebody's going to do something. Amen? The intercession may get on some people's nerves. Your constant crying and your constant coming to the altar may irritate some people, but you know you need to do something so that there's change happening in your community. We want to be world changers. And so we have to keep going, even if it irritates somebody. And I hope my irritation inspires somebody to do something. That's what happened with this Canaanite woman. She irritated the disciples so much, they're like, Jesus, take care of her, do something. Jesus doesn't listen to the woman. Does he listen to the disciples? Let's look. Verse 23. He actually says something but it's not what the disciples nor what the woman wanted. He says, verse 23, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. When I read this account, this is a really difficult scripture for me because that sounds really dismissive, right? It sounds like he's just like, I, I mean, I, I'm here for the house of Israel. And it may seem like Jesus is disregarding this woman and her daughter's affliction, we don't know the tone in which Christ said that. And so sometimes I like to imagine, right, take some liberties with, with the word of God because I don't have any sort of tone. And I can think, well, maybe did Jesus say that with some hesitation? Did Jesus say that with some reservations? Did he say that with some concern or some worry? What he said is true. He was supposed to only be traveling through that Gentile territory to Israel because the plan of salvation that he had to first preached to the Jews, and he knew that the apostles were coming to preach to the Gentiles next, right? That in, in Acts, he gives them the commission that you're going to preach to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and that's exactly what happened. That's why I'm here, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, because somebody preached the word of God to me. So Jesus has this singular mission saying, listen, I'm called to the house of Israel first, and, and I know you're going to get taken care of, but this is where I have to go first. And that statement, did that deter the woman? No. What does she do next? She begins to worship. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. I don't know if I have that kind of stamina. I don't know if, some, if, if I encountered Christ and he doesn't listen to me the first time, outright ignores me. And then he refuses, even after his own disciples, the people that he was hanging with, comes to him on my behalf. And then he says, I, I didn't come here for you. I came here for the house of Israel. That my next reaction would be to worship. Unlikely intercessors. This woman shows us an example that you have to be desperate for God to do something. That no matter how many times you hear no, you will continue to pursue and worship God. God. 
Your worship is not contingent upon what God does for you in that moment, but your worship is based on what you know God is capable of doing. I know that God is capable of healing, so even though I don't get an answer right now, I'm going to worship God because I know who he is. That takes a relationship with God. This is a Gentile woman who recognizes, listen, I need you to do something for my daughter, and I'm desperate. But I heard about Jesus. I heard how you delivered others. I heard how you healed others. So it doesn't matter that you were quiet and you denied me the first or the second time, but I'm committed to the healing of my daughter. I'm going to worship you in spite of a negative response. What does Jesus do next? Verse 26, it says, he answered her and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So, as I mentioned, this is a, a hard passage, right? It's not something that I hear people preach often because it, it is a hard passage because it's difficult, one, to, to see Jesus be quiet, Two, when he does say something, it's kind of dismissive. And then three, when he says something the next time, he says, it's not good for, for, for me to give the, the bread of children to the dogs. That's a troubling statement because we know historically that that word dog wasn't just, you know, um, um, kind of a passing word. That was a derogatory slur that they used to call the Gentiles. And it's difficult for me to kind of wrap my mind around Jesus, a loving Savior, using a dehumanizing word to someone else. It's not a kind word. And this, in both accounts, the Matthew and the Mark text, the Matthew text we know is written to uh, uh, an audience of Jews, and we know that the Mark text is really Peter's sermon written to Gentiles that were uh, experiencing um, uh, persecution. So in both of these texts, something that's written to Jews, something that's written to Gentiles, you have this dehumanizing, derogatory word. And I, I'm not going to attempt to, you know, and I'm going to make up a word here because I don't think it is a word. <laughs> but I'm not going to attempt to, like, theologize this, right? I'm not going to make this super deep and super spiritual of why he used this word because I really don't know. I, I went through all these different commentaries. Um, I, I have a master's in divinity and went to Ashland Theological Seminary. So I'm going through all these different works. I'm looking at the original Koine Greek, and I'm looking at all these different um, historical texts, and I'm trying to figure out why is this in the account? Why did Jesus said it's not good to take children's bread, throw it to the dogs and reference this woman in such a dehumanizing way. I, I don't know. But I know why it bothers me so much today to read that word in the word of God, and it's because there's such a decline in basic civility and communication right now. Can we be honest that, that there's such an increase of derogatory names and insensitive language being tossed around Right? Not just on social media, whether you're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever. There's all these different inc inc incidents in the classroom, outside the classroom, on my job. I, one time, Will and I were just driving. Um, I forget where we were on our way to, but we were driving, and some guy cuts me off, and he's the one at fault, and he still cusses me out and calls me a racial slur. 
And so I'm, 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 I'm really sensitive to this. And I'm like, why is this word dog that we know is, is, is not a kind word? Jesus is using it in reference to this woman who was an unlikely intercessor. She's just asking for help on behalf of her daughter. I think it's there to show us that being an intercessor, it's going to involve some uncomfortable encounters. It's going to involve some name calling. That we have to prepare to hear things that will incite hurt and sometimes even rage. That when we hear those words, and yes, it's dehumanizing, yes, it hurts, yes, it stings for me to read that in the word of God and to experience it as a black woman in America, to hear things and being called names that are not Shiana Watson, it hurts. But I recognize that this woman endured that, and I have to see that, you know, being a Christian is going to involve some name calling. Being an unlikely intercessor is going to involve some, some hurt feelings, but you have to move beyond that emotional response and see what this woman says in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Unlikely intercessors move beyond their initial emotional response and still pursue healing. She didn't skip a beat. Just like Jesus had a singular mind about his mission, he was under, had a full understanding that, listen, I'm fully divine, fully human, and I'm here, and I have to go through this ministry in these steps. And he had a, a, a tunnel vision for his purpose. She also had a tunnel vision for her purpose. She had a singular mind, and she said, listen, you can call me whatever you want to call me. It doesn't matter how many times you tell me no. There's someone suffering, and their suffering far outweighs my hurt feelings, and I'm not going to go unless you give me something. You may not give me the full bread, but I'll take the crumbs because I'm not going to leave here without my daughter being delivered. I'm not going to leave here without having some form of healing. You should not leave war week without some sort of feeling that I am empowered and equipped to bring about change in my classroom, to bring about change in my community. And so you have to have this desperation, like this unlikely intercessor of the Canaanite woman who said, you can call me what you want to, Jesus, but I know that you're able. I know that you have the power to deliver my daughter. And because I am so invested in her, I'm not going to leave here with nothing. So if you said, I can't have bread, give me crumbs. You, you say that, that you're here for Israelites. It, it, okay, that's fine. Just give me crumbs. I'm okay because I need her to be delivered. I'm not going to give up. Jesus says to her, verse 28, oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. After ignoring her, then outright rejecting her, Jesus grants her her petition. He commends her faith. He doesn't just heal her daughter. He commends her faith. And there are literally only two people throughout all the gospel that Jesus says that they have great faith. Two people. Throughout all the gospels. Jesus talks often about the household of faith having very little faith. So write down these scriptures. He talks about the household of faith having very little faith. Matthew uh, 6 and 30. Matthew 8 and 26. Matthew 14 and 31. Matthew 16 and 8. Luke 12 and 28. 
He's rebuking the household of faith, the very household that he said, I'm here to go. That I'm, this is who I'm here for. You have very little faith. Matthew 6 and 30, Matthew 8 and 26, Matthew 14, 31 and 16 and 8, Luke 12 and 28. Oh, you of little faith. But this woman, who he just referred to as a dog, he says, oh, you, you of great faith. Two people are recognized as having great faith. And look, both of those people were Gentiles. One is this Canaanite woman. The other one is this centurion. In Matthew 8, this centurion, he comes to Jesus. He's a Gentile and asks for healing. Again, an unlikely intercessor. He's not asking for healing for himself, but for another one of his soldiers. And Jesus immediately responds and says, yes, I will come and heal him. But the centurion forbids Jesus to come. Instead, he offers an alternative to Jesus and says, you speak the word only and I know he'll be healed. And so he says to him in, in Matthew 8, 11, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Gentiles, who were supposed to be the dogs of society, this centurion and this Canaanite woman, weren't worthy of deliverance in the eyes of society. But because they were unlikely intercessors and sought healing on behalf of others, they were recognized for having great faith. Great faith is measured from its disadvantages. These were, were Gentiles. These were people that were on, on the margins of society. And sometimes, depending upon uh, your situation and your age, I remember kind of being raised up in the church that sometimes I felt overlooked or that my faith was trivialized. But the more I may lack, whether I lack in age or lack in, in, in degrees, the greater opportunity it is for God to exercise and demonstrate his faith in me. The more marginalized you are in others' eyes, the more space you have to demonstrate your faith in God. People may not see you as having much, but I know who I am in Christ. And so that great faith is measured from that disadvantage. You may count me out, but Christ says I have great faith. Others may count you out, but God says you have great faith. People who aren't struggling, people who don't recognize the struggles of others, they don't have great faith. They don't have any reason to have faith because they feel like everything's provided for them. But this Canaanite woman and this centurion, they had great faith because they recognized how much they needed God. And they wouldn't let anything deter them. Unlikely intercessors, I'm going to give you kind of two things that make up an unlikely intercessor that we kind of see here in the Canaanite woman. And then uh, we, we will... We'll, we'll be done for the evening. So unlikely intercessory. What does this Canaanite woman have and what does this centurion have that causes them to, to intercede on behalf of others and have healing? It's not for them, but for others, right? That's the whole point of intercession, that you're taking the place. You're standing in the gap for someone else. Two things. They're invested and they have importunity. Two things. And I'm going to define what importunity is, because that's a super churchy word, importunity, and it's okay. I'm churchy, I told y'all. They're invested, and they have importunity. Invested. What do I mean by that? As I mentioned, the, the mother was invested in her daughter's deliverance. The, the soldier was invested in his soldier's healing. You have to be invested in your community 
You may not be the one personally experiencing that struggle, but you have to take on that hardship as if it were your own. That when you're serving out here in Highland Park or serving in your community or serving at your household, you have to internalize what they're going through. You have to empathize. Sympathy and pity means, oh, poor you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Investing in empathy means I'm putting myself in your shoes, and because you're hurting, I'm hurting. I'm not going to be okay until you're okay. It's not all sad times, you know, struggle is real. That's sympathy, that's pity. But being invested in your community means I, I may not be physically feeling what you're feeling, but because I know you're hurt, I'm not going to rest until you have healing. That healing is not this individual thing. That a lot of times when we pray for God to have healing, it's because we need it ourselves. I mean, I know that I'm kind of a selfish jerk, right? That we are kind of hardwired. I, my son, my toddler shows me all the time how there's human depravity because he sh truly is a selfish jerk a lot. He's three. Everything's all about him. When is it going to be my turn? When are you going to do something for me? Um, Will, <laughs> even on the way here, Will is, we're driving and, and Will's praying for me as we're, you know, getting ready to kind of come here for worship. And Caleb in the background says, but daddy, when are you going to pray for me? Everything is all about me. He's like, I'll pray for you too, Caleb, promise. God bless. Caleb. So everything is all about us, right? And a lot of times in our prayer, our prayer can be all about us. But healing is communal. Healing isn't about you. It's about somebody else. If we look at James chapter 5 and 16, it says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye, all of us, plural ye, may be healed. The effectual forever prayer of the righteous availeth much. When we look at uh, uh, Second Chronicles, a, a verse that is very familiar, Second Chronicles 7 and 14, it doesn't say if my person, it doesn't say if the king, it doesn't say if the prophets that are called by my voice, were called by my name, it says if the people, if my people who were called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal that one person. Then I'll just heal the one king. No, it says I'll heal the land. So we have to be invested in where we're serving, invested in our families, invested in our schools, invested where we are, invested in our families so that we can have this communal healing. That's an unlikely intercessor. They're invested in the, in the hardships of those around them. And then secondly, there's that, that, that churchy word, importunity. How do you, I'm, you know, has anyone heard of that word before? You see it a lot in King James versions. I, I use NASB a lot, but, you know, importunity is just, it's a good churchy word. I can't get away from it. It's not in the NASB, but I just, I love it so much. Importunity. What does it mean? It means shameless, audacious asking. Shameless, audacious asking. Asking that's going to get on someone else's nerves. Asking continuously without regard of anyone's opinions. It means to be persistent in the face of adversity. Continuing in spite outright and rejection like this Canaanite woman. That you're going to keep going despite name calling. That you are determined because you're invested in the healing of all those around you. This word importunity comes from an account in Luke 11 verses 5 through 8. 
This is after Jesus instructs the disciples on how to pray. The disciples say, Jesus, how are we supposed to pray? Jesus gives them the Lord's prayer that we know. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. All of that. He gives them the Lord's prayer. And then he gives this parable about importunity. He says, there's a friend who's requesting bread. Again, importunity is really not about you. He's asking for bread, not for himself, but because another friend showed up without calling first. Listen, my refrigerator is only filled with stuff that Caleb eats, and he eats about five things. So if someone showed up without calling first, I may not have things to give them. And that's what happened in this parable. An unexpected guest shows up, and the friend is going to go ask another friend for some food for this guest. And Jesus says, even though they're friends, he wouldn't give his own friend the loaf of bread just by asking. But he gives him bread because of his persistent importunity. He gave in and gave his friend some bread. You have to ask yourself, are you willing to be that persistent friend for somebody today? Are you willing to keep going and keep asking even when you're tired? And like I said, I'm I'm tired. I get fatigued early. About 8, 9 o'clock, I'm I'm turning it down. There's no turn up for me. It's all turned down. I get tired. Having that kind of importunity is exhausting. But I love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, don't weary in well-doing. For you shall reap if you faint not. And I know you all have all the energy of the world, but there may come a time that you will get tired of coming to services like this. You may get tired of praying. You may get tired of reading your word, but I want to encourage you, this room full of unlikely intercessors, to have importunity because you're invested. You don't want to give up. Because you have empathy for someone around you, you're not going to give up. You're going to keep asking to the point that it gets on people's nerves. Nerves, but you are invested and you know that they have need of that deliverance and so you're going to keep asking and keep asking and keep asking until something gives. You, you may not have thought that you were equipped to be an intercessor or that you were qualified, but today is your commission. The only two things you need to be as an intercessor is to be invested in that change and to keep doing it. That's all you need. Be invested and keep doing it. Invested in importunity. Stand up with me, amen? As we go before the throne of grace, when we think about intercession, and that's another big spiritual word, right? Intercession. Simply put, as I said, you're standing in the gap of someone else. That person can't be here for whatever reason, whether it's physical limitations or they're they're just away from God, they don't know God, you're standing in the gap for them. That's what intercession means. And sometimes we hesitate to talk about intercession or we don't think of ourselves as intercessors. I think sometimes we do that because we haven't had access to the intercessor that's for us. That we forsake the intercessor that God has freely given us. That we have Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf. He doesn't get tired because he's invested in us.
He's so invested in us that he put on humanity and took our place on the cross. We have to recognize that we have an intercessor in Christ and we also have an intercessor in the Holy Spirit. A few Sundays ago at, uh, on a Sunday morning, I, I preached about the Holy Spirit. That when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit gives intercession on our behalf. And there have been times that I've struggled in prayer that I'm, the words just don't come. And I don't know what to do next. And there may be times where, again, you're just in service and everyone else may be, be experiencing Christ. And you just, I don't know what to do, Lord. They, they say bring words to you, but I don't even have the words to bring to you. That's when you just say, come Holy Spirit. Intercede. If you're calling me, God, to be an intercessor for my community, if you're calling me to be an intercessor for my family, my classmates, my loved ones, for strangers, Lord, I need you to intercede for me. So I invite you tonight to encounter the best prayer partner, to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. It's difficult to be invested in, in someone else, to be invested in their deliverance when you haven't experienced that deliverance yourself. When you have access to the intercessor yourself. So this isn't about you paying attention to who's around you or, or uh, uh, what you're going to do after we dismiss. But this is an opportunity for you to encounter the great intercessor. To encounter the Holy Spirit. So that you can be equipped to intercede on behalf of others. And there may be some of you that say, listen, I, I, I speak to God daily. I, I am encountering the intercessor. I know that he intercedes for me. And that you have, may have the weight of that intercession on you too. That you may have grown tired. That you have that investment part down. But it's the opportunity to keep asking. And you're just fatigued. You're tired. You're carrying that weight of constantly asking God to, to do something for you and that something hasn't quite happened yet. You're constantly act, asking God to do something for your family, for your friends, for your community, and it just hasn't happened yet. This is your opportunity for a refreshing. For someone to take that load off your shoulders, to be like the disciples and say, okay, listen, I'm going to ask on your behalf because I, I hear you crying out for God so much. I'm going to take that and I'm going to ask uh, on your behalf. I'm going to intercede for the intercessors because we need intercession too. We get tired too. So I just invite you to, to, to join me at the altar if you, again, want to experience and encounter the best prayer partner, the Holy Spirit, to pray and intercede for you so that you're equipped when you go out tomorrow to intercede for others. You can join me at the altar now. If you feel like I've been interceding, I've been praying, but I am I'm tired and I need someone to pray for me. I ask you just join me at the altar. Hallelujah. As um, Pastor Lisa and others Lead us in worship. It's just about you and God, you and the Holy Spirit, you and Jesus who intercedes on behalf of everyone here. Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. This is about the Holy Spirit who prays for us when we don't know what to pray. This is about you recognizing the gifts and values that, that, that you bring to the, to the body of Christ.
This is about you recognizing that you are equipped, hallelujah, to be world changers. This is about you recognizing that God has called you to be an intercessor. God has called you to bear the burdens of those in your community. That God is calling you to intercede. That this is the generation, hallelujah, that will seek the face of God. And that will bring change in their classroom. Bring change in their community. Bring change on Woodward and Six Mile now in the name of Jesus. Bring about change in their homes. Change their their hearts, God. Hallelujah. Fill them up, Holy Spirit, that they will not grow weary, that they will not be fatigued. Oh, God, refresh and restore even now, Jesus. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, equip them to be the unlikely intercessor that will push past any time they're called a name, that will endure even though they may hear nothing, that they may hear silence, but they will keep going. Hallelujah. By your power, Hallelujah. We can only do this by your power, Lord. Your wonder-working power, God. Your dunamis power, Holy Spirit. Fill them even now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this special podcast from War Week 2017. 